This is Vigneto, a podcast. From the sun and soil they grow. From the land and sea they roam. Drinking wine in the great unknown. I'm Susanna Gold. I'm a wine educator, brand ambassador, writer, and marketer with a keen interest in both new and old world wines. My websites are vignettocommunications.com and susannagold.com. And of course, I have a wine blog, avinata.com. I'm particularly keen on Italy, where I lived for 15 years. While I do consider myself a wine geek, I love to look at wine from all aspects. One of the things I want to do with this podcast is delve into the many facets of the wine world, looking at it from multiple points of view. The podcast will have different series, and for the next 10 weeks, I will be discussing the topic of sustainability with my friend and fellow wine lover, geek, and expert, Sunny Gandara. Hi, everyone. I'm Sunny, and I've worked in multiple facets in the wine industry uh, over the past 15 years or so. Currently, I'm the U.S. brand director for Quechabella, which is an Italian winery located in Tuscany, and uh, I have a special interest in vegan and organic wines. I'm also the global wine director for Matthew Kenny Cuisine, which is a worldwide plant-based hospitality and restaurant group. Um, a trained chef and food and wine blogger on the side where my focus is on pairing wines with plant-based dishes. I want everyone to discover the enormous, exciting and delicious world of plants and the gastronomic pleasures you can get eating a vegan diet with a glass of wine, of course. Well, it's great to be here with Manfred Ng of Quercebella. And maybe, Sunny, you can tell us something about the winery. Yes. Hi, Manfred. So nice to have you with us today. I miss you and I miss the winery so much. Um, as you know, I do work for Quercebella and I'm the U.S. brand director for them here in the U.S. So I started for them a couple of years ago. I was really um attracted to them because of their vegan approach to winemaking. So Quercebella is, of course, located in Greve and Chianti Classico and Manfred has been our winemaker for the last 10 years and done a fantastic job. And um, so Manfred, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your experience there, a little bit about your background and uh, what attracted you to Quechabella perhaps. And, um, yes, Sunny, we, we look forward to having you back here where, when, when, when we're allowed to, I guess. Um, it's, yeah, it's been quite a while, but uh, yeah, these, these, being able to do things online now and the dynamics has is, is actually been quite good. So it's nice to speak to you guys and, and share our Quechabella story. Um, I, I arrived at Quechabella in 2010. I was, uh, before that, I was traveling and making wine all around the world. I, as you can hear from my accent, I don't have a typical accent from, from Greve. So I was actually born and raised in South Africa. And then... Um, Spent a better part of four or five years traveling around the world and, and making wine in, in Napa Valley, in New Zealand, in northern Italy, in Barolo, and um, lived full time in New Zealand and then kind of decided New Zealand was too far away from the rest of the world, at which point um, made my way back to Europe and um, was fortunate enough to get approached by Quechabella to join the team. And as a young winemaker, 26 year old, you grab it with both hands. So I was very, very fortunate. and. And uh, the family, the Castelloni family, um, got me on board. And uh, yeah, the rest has been an amazing roller coaster of an adventure. But yeah, life in Italy is, is fantastic. And here at Crocebella, 
I truly love it. So I'm, I'm very, very, very fortunate. Started at Corchabella as a winemaker in 2010, um, which happens to be the same year the winery went plant-based from soil to the glass, meaning we, we stopped manure and any type of animal um, applications in the vineyard. So can you tell us a little bit about the process and what was involved in that? Um, yeah, so when I arrived in, in 2010, it was kind of just like diving headfirst into things. I'd, I'd never worked at a, at a biodynamic producer before in New Zealand. We were organic. But so for when I arrived here, it was, it was just like, wow, like what can we do? How do we do it? And around the same time, as you explained, the decision was made to go to plant-based. But the, the transitional phase wasn't such a big adaption for Quechabella because we're talking about vineyards that have been organic since the late 80s, early 90s, and then biodynamic, traditional biodynamics since 2000, 2010. So the transitional period wasn't, there wasn't such a big change in the vineyards. It was more about us changing the way we were doing things and following the philosophy of Sebastiano and and his lifestyle approach, that was what we were trying to implement in the vineyards. So uh, we're very fortunate that we've got Dallas Alessandro, who's our agronomist, who is still with Petrovella today. And he's been here since, since 1998. And for him, the adaptions that we had to make in the vineyard were relatively small. I mean, we, we obviously got, we got rid of all of the plant-based traditional um, biodynamic preparations, the cow hole and the manure, that was all completely eliminated. But Dallas's unbelievable knowledge of the, each vineyard site and um, the cover crops that we, I mean, we didn't invent cover crops at Crescibella, but the way that Dallas adapts the cover crops for each of the vineyard sites is, is unbelievable. He has an understanding of the soil, of the site, of how it grows. So it was the meticulous, the, the recipes of the cover crops that were tweaked and changed. Uh, and that was what we, we continued to do. We'd been doing it before and we just continued. So the transitional page, it was actually with relative ease. Can I ask you a question about the cover crops? I know you're not the agronomist, but so can you just explain what cover crops do? Because not everyone knows why you use cover crops. So, so cover, cover crops is probably the, 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 the science behind cover crops is um, we are, what we are growing in between our rows. So people have cultivated in between their rows of their vineyards, their orchards for, for centuries because it was a way to use up the piece of land in between and they grew their fruit trees and they, they grew plants in between their vegetables. But then obviously people started to learn and see that certain vegetables, when you didn't pick them and you worked them into the soils, the plants around them benefited. So that concept of using, for example, your legumes, which are your beans and your peas, uh, we know that they fix the nitrogen into the soil and are able to give nitrogen into the soil. Uh, we have different types of spicy leaf plants. So your brassicas, your, your rapeseed, your wild mustard, your, your rocket, arugula. So these, um, they all have a little role working in the soil. You've got your different types of your grains and your clovers and which give structure and, and life into the soil. So you can go through and scientifically look at each one of these and what they give. But at the end of the day, we want these cover crops is about biodiversity. It's about giving nitrogen. So we're not gonna come through and blast the vineyards with, um, with nitrogen and boron and whatever. Um, it's a natural way of doing it, but you're getting by biodiversity in, and that's, that's probably more important for us actually. So it's, it's, you're, you're creating an environment where the birds and the bees and the animals 
are happy and they want to be. Uh, we do have lots of wild boar and deer getting into our fruit, but that's another issue. But I mean, we want that environment. That, that's a beautiful environment for, without sounding esoteric, there is a great energy that comes just from the vibrancy of the cover crops even. And, it, and it's bringing a balance into our vineyards. It's, it's, it's regulating the growth almost. And it's, it's, it's quite fascinating and it's, it's working really, really well for us. That's great. Yeah, I've, it's amazing when you go to an organic or a biodynamic vineyard, the insects that you see hopping around. I mean, it's just so alive. It makes such a difference. You know, even for people who aren't necessarily in that enmeshed in that in that part of the wine world, it's just it's just physically noticeable. You just see it. Right. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's something that's really challenging doing like online tastings and talks like this is because <laughs> I just want to take you outside the room and show you the vineyards and you'll see the, the cover crops. We've actually just trimmed the cover crops now, so that we've, we'll work them into the soil soon. But it's, you can still, the energy, it's, you can't explain it. Uh, so it's, yeah, mm. So you, you know, I know we, Quartabella has been organic since 1988, um, although not certified since 2000, but, you know, really sort of pioneers in, in organic winemaking and everybody was like, what's this, you know, in the area? And they sort of were very skeptical. So I was curious, you know, how did your neighbors and colleagues um, react to the fact that you wanted to remove manure and still be biodynamic? Of course, we're not certified, right? Because we don't use those, uh, but what, what do they... What did they say then and what do they think now 10 plus years later? Because, I mean, our wines have just continued to improve. I mean, I think we've gotten the best scores ever. Um, so I was just curious to see how, what are their reactions? Well, I think when you, when you work with someone who's like a visionary like Sebastiano, you work for him, you get used to a bit of skepticism around you. And I'm sure when he converted things back in the 90s, everyone, I've heard stories that people thought it was crazy and would never work. And people only found out two years later that he'd already gone behind the back and it was already being treated organically. So, I mean, there is obviously a lot of skepticism here in the Valley, uh, very much so. I mean, people do look, we are sitting literally up on the hillside. So people do look up and, and see what things, how we're doing it and probably seen with a bit of skepticism, but then you just have to taste the wine. Right. And let's see not only what we think about our wines we do believe that they are improving but you have a look at all of the different journalists and wine writers and everyone all around the world we've never been so well received our vineyards have never been so beautiful uh with the challenging vintages that we've had um no, no two vintages are the same but there is still a great amazing consistency so yeah i think no matter what people say, I think some people are maybe starting to maybe jump on the bandwagon, maybe like there are certain producers who now will have a organic label or an or a vegan label. So they do completely conventional production uh, for their entire winery, but for 0.5% or 5,000 bottles or 200 bottles, they have a green label or a vegan label. And that's happening here um, in the Cante Classico also. So I think people are starting to understand if Gretchen Bella can do it, well, maybe they can try. I don't, I don't know. But, That's great. Uh, it's definitely becoming uh, more popular. Um, I don't know if it's for the right intentions, if it's for markets or for the ethical reason, but yeah. uh, it definitely is becoming more common. Mm. Can we talk about the Sangiovese grape for a second, um, just in terms of the challenges that the grape presents in this kind of winemaking? Is it particularly well suited for this kind of um, viticulture 
can we just talk about how you see Sangiovese? So Sangiovese, um, it's it's the most planted uh, grape in in all of Italy. So I mean in Tuscany, definitely. So there is a lot of people who grow and make Sangiovese. It's the quality of Sangiovese that differs. So there is a lot of uh, very poor quality Sangiovese and uh, the, the high, high-end, top-quality wines like we produce here at Quercibella are, are not so common. So this just shows that to produce it of a high, high quality is quite challenging. So Sangiovese has quite a delicate skin, very light. So Sangiovese wines have got lighter colors and generally wines that have got lighter colors have got more delicate skin. So these delicate skins allow them to be more susceptible to mildews which is the, the, the biggest problem from an agricultural point of view is the mildews um, that you have to protect against. Here in Tuscany, though, we have an amazing climate. Besides the fact that it's raining outside right now, we have a beautiful, perfect climate that is suited to organic production um, and plant-based production, obviously. So the Sangiovese, it, it can be done, um, but I think you need to really be, pay attention to detail and and that's something that I think we do quite well here. I just heard the thunderstorm outside your window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it actually sounds a lot worse than it actually is. It's more moving across the hills towards, it's like moving south towards uh, Panzano direction. Uh, it's just, it's literally just drizzling outside. But yeah, it does sound quite scary. Yeah. That sounds lovely, though, going towards Panzano. I lived in Tuscany for a long time, and it's really making me, my heart sing to think you're, like, looking out the window, and that's what you see. But um, yeah. anyway, <laughs> So, um, yeah, so you talked a little bit about cover crops and, you know, what we call as green manure and biodiversity in the vineyard. And um, can you talk a little bit more about the practice that you have in, in this regard and how you've seen the wines change as a result? I know I saw a video you did um, earlier where you really talked about the different uh, aspects of green manure and what they do to help the soil. And I would love to see what are the benefits from your point of view of the grapes themselves and, of course, uh, the wines and how they improve? So I think uh, one of the main aspects of it is it's providing a greater balance. And I use the word balance a lot when I speak about our wines or even in the vineyards. So the cover crops are, where we are here now, um, obviously in Tuscany, there is, there is no, or in the Cante Classico, it's, it's against the law to irrigate. So there's no irrigation. So when you have a warm, dry vintage, you need to rely on the rain that mother nature gives you to get the plants through to full ripening. And by having the cover crops in the alternating rows, when it rains, like it's raining now, the rain is caught and is able to sink into the soil and go down into the roots. So this is one of the points. It's allowing the water to, to stay in the vineyards. And, and when the vines get thirsty, they're able to go and sip some water. But not only that, in the vineyards now, we're finding that there is a greater balance of growth so all of our vineyards are, are on pretty steep slopes here in Tuscany or here in the Cante Classico. And generally what happens on a steep slope is you've got, you've got your, your runoff from the rain and you've got all your nutrients that will go down to the bottom of the hill. You'll have the vines at the bottom will be massively vigorous and the vines at the top will be short and stumpy. The vines at the bottom will ripen faster. They're, they're, they'll, they'll not be homogenous. When you're going and tasting the grapes, they taste differently all around the vineyard. We are finding that right from bud burst, the vines are growing at an equal rate. So the, the bud burst is happening at the same time in the vineyard. They're growing, when we're tucking the, vine, the, the vines underneath the, the wire, they're at the same height. 
when the veraison starts, when the color starts to change, it's happening right across the vineyard. When we go through and we're tasting the berries before we're picking and tasting the seeds and chewing on them and looking at the color, it's, it's more homogenous. And this is something that we quite, we, we like and we, we're happy with because in the winery, we're finding that there is then greater balance. With the extremities of the seasons, we're still producing world-class wines year in, year out. And that's because of the incredible quality of the grapes that Dallas brings into the winery. And I think this is, it's, I really believe that it's all linked to, to this. Mm. Yeah, and also incredibly laborious too, the way you do, not just in the, in the you know, vineyard, but also in the, in the winery. Can you tell us a little bit about any sort of specifics you do in the winery itself, like uh, micro vinification we talked about and things like that? So, so all of our vineyards, um, as we go through harvest and we start picking, all of our vineyards are kept uh, fermented in different tanks. So we will go through and we have small little three and five ton tanks. So I can like micro vinification, small volumes. And we will literally start picking the vineyards, Donosoto, Tinimikayo, Montoro, and slowly go through the picking and we'll fill up these tanks and they will ferment and they will undergo their fermentation there. We will then drain them off and we will then age them in in the French oak barrels or tonneau, and then follow their evolution over the course of 14 to 16 months. So by doing this, you, you're really able to not only learn and understand the expression of each Sangiovese that is grown, but, but, but you get a, a, a fantastic idea um, after, after years of experience now, which wines, which vineyard sites are better adapted for Camartina or for our Chianti Classico Reserva or for our Chianti Classico. So these incredible expressions of Sangiovese, they, they come out and we're able to follow it. And by the time it comes down to blending, we, we're already, I already know from the vineyard now how the blending is going to be when we, when we arrive in two years time. So it's this ridiculous, I don't know, maximum attention to detail for me is, is really important because it allows you to then have to intervene less in a weird way. Like if you're able to be really precise and clean and pure and follow things and have a lot of patience, uh, the, the fruit speaks. You don't need to go and none of our, our even our, our best wine is, is aged in 20, maybe 25% new oak for, for our uh, super Tuscan style. And there's a reason, it's because we want the fruit expression. We want you to see how our grapes grow in the vineyard, that, that is what you're tasting. The transparency of Sangiovese, the, the energy of the Sangiovese is from how, thanks to our plant-based approach in the vineyards, through into, into the winery and then into the bottle. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah, um, so talking about what do you see is uh, the biggest challenge? I know you know your vineyards, you said the different plots and have they changed or what do you see as the biggest challenge for your region uh, with climate change and, and going forward as a winemaker? Have you seen anything already and what, what's your predictions for the region? I think it's with the climate change, it's definitely the, the extremities of the season, like the extremities that are coming along are, are taking away any sense of normality. And, and I'm here only for, for a decade when the people here at Cochabella have been here for nearly 30 years. So they can tell you that things are changing. The, the, the winters are, I mean, we have some years we have minus nine, minus nine degrees Celsius or freezing, freezing, freezing cold. We can have, it's the, 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 the histories that are kind of like now we are, 
the most X number of days above 35 degrees or X number of rainy days in May or X number of, it's these kind of things that are, are throwing everything out and really forcing us to pay attention to detail in the vineyards. You can't just uh, start growing the vines and then go off on your holiday and then, and me in the winery, I don't really take holiday actually. I'm like obsessive compulsive. I take holiday when the winery closes for the 10 days in August and that's it. And maybe in summertime, and I might go away in December, but I will, I like to be here. And, and so does our, the vineyard team because you can't, you can't step away from it. We, you can't just do what our great grandparents did in the vineyards and think you're just going to pick your grapes in October because that doesn't work like that anymore. Uh, some years we were picking a little bit earlier. Some years we were picking even later. In 2013, we started picking uh, the Sangiovese on the 4th of October, which is the same as 1988. So there isn't, everyone says we're picking earlier because it's hotter and drier. It's, it's not true. Like every year is different and you, you need to have your wits about you. You need to be paying attention to it and just, just following it because it's, you need to be on your toes if you want to produce world-class wines, which is what we want to do. Can I ask you sort of a more general question about um, what you're noticing in Italy as a winemaker? I'm sure you talk to a lot of other winemakers in Italy. Are there other regions in Italy where you see kind of the same attention to biodynamics and organics that you're seeing in Tuscany? Are there other parts of Italy where you're seeing that? I don't think so. so. People are trying. So I, I think generally, uh, or in Europe and in Italy, I think that people are much more conscious about what they put in their mouths. And not only here, all around the world. And because we produce products all across Italy that are consumed all around the world, I'd, I'd hope to think that Italians are maybe embracing that, how the Tuscans are, because it's definitely happening here. I mean, in the Chianti Classico, I read a number the we are now at 52.5% uh, of the Chianti Classico is certified organic. Wow. And uh, which is really high. A couple of years ago, that was 40%. Yeah. So there's definitely been a trend in Tuscany. Okay. The climate does allow for it. So that's for sure. I'm sure it's much harder to be an organically certified producer up in Northern Italy where it rains more often and the grapes up there struggle with the rains, etc. So I do think that, that we are fortunate in Tuscany with the amazing climate we have here. But, but moving further down south from Tuscany, I don't understand why there isn't more because it's even, it should be easier to do your, your, the organic uh, uh, viticulture. Uh, I, but I, like I've said, people have, I think people have noticed that there is definitely a market's reason that's, it's, it's, it's a very, the, the market is growing and expanding of all organic and, and, and vegan products all around the world. I mean, Cochabella, all our wines are vegan certified also. So this is something that's, that I think people are starting to get more on board. I think, especially when a, a top famous producer like Cochabella comes along and says, well, not only are our wines certified organics, but they're now certified vegan. People realize that it can be done at a, at a high level. So hopefully this continues. Um, there is definitely more here in Tuscany, for sure there is more, there's more possibility for it. Um, maybe up in Northern Italy, I'm, I'm not too sure. Do you ever, do you still, are you still in contact with um, people in the other countries where you used to work? Do you know what's happening in New Zealand or South Africa where you're from? I mean, do you have yes. a feel that's kind of a world, a world change a little bit that you're seeing? I'm very, very, very much in contact. Um, I actually, 
I started a, a group on Facebook many moons ago that a winemaking group that has now 39,000 winemakers. Oh my God. And so I'm very much aware of what's happening all around the world. I've an amazing network of winemakers that started with me and wanting to be in contact with a couple of friends that I just worked with in Napa Valley in 2006 and slowly but surely grew and grew and grew and grew. And we're, I think there's like 26,000 active members daily. Like it's, it's ridiculous. So I'm definitely keeping an eye on what's happening around the world um, from a viticultural point of view, but especially from and, and a winemaking point of view. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, quite, it's, it's frightening. You can put a post on that and it gets, within an hour, it's got 3,600 views or it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wonderful. wow. Well, that's amazing. So you, you share information about techniques that you're doing in, in the vineyards or what the weather is, how things well, have changed. People to find work and harvest work, I think, Going and, and thinking out the box and going somewhere and working is the most important aspect uh, in, any, in any career, I think. And that was the idea was to help people do that. When I started traveling and making wine, you sent a million emails and I used to print out my, 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 recommend, my letters of recommendation and scan it and fax it around the world. So we didn't have this. Now that was the original goal was to make that. But slowly but surely people started posting a photo in the vineyards and saying, what is this bug? I have a vineyard in Texas that I have this type of grape that's growing and I have this bug or someone says I have a problem with wine and there's all of the people start commenting and it's a lot of the usual suspects with their comments and all the rest, but it's, it's quite, it's a, it's a great network for that. And there's a lot of banter and fun and, and all the rest, but yeah, there's a lot of helping, which is, it's fantastic. And people, the search function, we, we as the administrators and moderators are saying, just use the search function, but you can search for anything. You can search for any type of aspect of winemaking or viticulture, or if you're looking for a house, or if you want to sell your car at the end of harvest, or if you want to organize a harvest party, you'll find it somewhere on the group. So it's, it's that's quite awesome. Cool. That's, that's, that's exciting. But I digress. Um, back to uh, your winery. So in terms of climate change, are you getting a lot more hail? now than in the past because i know in july in tuscany because my birthday is in july it always hails on my birthday <laughs> why is there some hail in uh, tuscany i'd never seen hail like that i mean in america we have other problems but we don't have that like level of hail yeah um it's depends on the season yes some years we do have we have had hail problems uh wh what happens is, is generally what happens is the storms start to so uh, to my to behind me is the north these massive storms start to build up in the july time so it's really warm and the heat's going straight up it comes over the hillside and starts making it towards us so it's very much it's like you never know you might get a bit of help you might get a bit of rain you might not the the hail uh, we probably started since i've been here i mean we had a little tickle up of hail in 2012 maybe in 2015, it's, it's very, you're either unlucky or you're lucky. Like we've been, there's areas where there have been strips of hail and 400 meters away, there's, there hasn't been. So uh, we've had hail damage only probably like, like proper damage, like twice since I've been here, like where it's, where it's ruined the production. But in actual fact, we've been really, really lucky. 
it's the, the frost is another extremity that's come along. We speak about these, like we had frost in the very low part of Tuscany down in the Marema in the Southern Tuscan coastline in 2014, and even a bit of frost this year. Um, so this is like a complete new thing. Like there isn't been spring frosts. So it happened maybe back in the nineties or in the early 2000s. So that, that's another one of the, these extremities in the springtime. I mean, I've worked in winemaking regions where we had frost in the spring, we had frost even around harvest time and it was something that they got used to and they lived with and you have fans and, and in Burgundy, they're prepared for it and Chablis, they have the sprays and all the rest. Whereas here in Tuscany, we don't. It's, right. it's, <laughs> you sit there and the next thing, it's 20, 22, 23 degrees Celsius on one day and the next thing you look and it's gonna be one degree in a week's time and we like, it's a, it's a completely throw out like you. We're not prepared for it, um, but it, we're very lucky. It's only happened two, two, two times since I, in the last 11 years at least. Whether it becomes a common occurrence is another, it's another story for another day. Well, we could go on and on talking to you forever, Manfred. There's so much to talk about, but I was just curious um, as Quartrabella, we've been talking about that, I think is seen by many as sort of the golden standard for environmentally friendly practices and certainly vegan practices. but. Uh, can you share any sort of new next steps for Quechabella in terms of being pioneers in this field and how you want to continue to improve maybe what's in the works if you can share any secrets <laughs> yeah i think i think what what people get a lot when they when they come away from Quechabella is that the, the attention to detail that we are playing in the vineyards and in the winery i think is quite is something else and it's it's what we're doing and 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 how we're doing it is it's it's very obvious and it's very clear like at the plant-based approach i don't know actually any other way of biodynamics because i'm so immersed in a chair since i've arrived and the way that we're doing it and the way our vineyards are thriving even in the challenging vintages uh, i think that people are starting to realize that if quechabella can do it well then maybe they can also do it so the practices and the little tricks that we're doing and and how and when we're working the soil when's the right time to go and remove the leaves or not do leaf removal in certain years or the the algae foliar sprays that we're using as a biostimulant um so as a natural stimulant to get health and vibrancy and, and vigor into the plant at the right times they're all the little trade secrets so to speak um, yeah, we do. We do have a couple of, of little things that we're up to, but I think it's the fact that we are paying utmost respect to nature, and we are leaving it in in a better place than we found it, and that is really really important to us. And we're still producing world class wines, and and I think that is like the takeaway for us is is we're just keeping being very precise, attention to detail, and, and the proof is is in the pudding, and 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 that for us I think is the the most important aspect of it. Definitely go and visit in person because it's like you said, it's uh, it's very difficult to explain um, the magic of that place. So can people come and visit the winery now or what what can they do if they'd like to? Now, now they can. Um, we've had with, 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 the, with the COVID, it's been quite challenging uh, with the different laws in, in Italy and um, the spacing. And I'm sitting now in the tasting room and we, we, we do offer tastings. It's, it's obviously not big groups of 20 people as it was back um, pre-COVID, but we, we are open, we're available now um, in Tuscany. We're just opening 
starting to slowly open up, obviously respecting all the laws, etc. Um, but as things are right now, we do we, we are taking visitors and uh, we are able to maybe not do as many tours as we used to be able to do for, for the different laws, but we're able to welcome people here anytime. I mean, we have uh, the tasting room set up with, with our full range of wines and we can go out on the vineyards and wander around. But um, it's, it's nice that we finally ha are getting tourists probably in the last two weeks, actually, people have started to arrive and it's like, it's like a bit nice. of fresh air for everyone. Yeah. So it's nice. And it's, it's very, everyone's still kind of very nervous and we're skeptical and you can't go anywhere without wearing your mask. So it's, 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 it comes with these challenges, but it's, it's really nice to slowly start to have a bit of, of how it was before. So hopefully it can continue and hopefully things can improve, I guess. Well, I can't wait to come. I can tell you that. And I love your mask is green. I love that. <laughs> That's such a great detail that that mask is yeah. very beautifully by the It's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us. I hope the rain has stopped so you can either walk to your home or, or roll out wherever it is um, <laughs> without getting soaked. Thank you very much. And now it's drizzling a wee bit, but that's all right. It's not so bad. I, like, I enjoy it. It's been warm, so a little bit of rain is quite refreshing, actually. But that's thank you very much. And thank you for hosting it. And thank you, Sunny, also. It's, it's always a pleasure. So, um, yeah, we're, you, you are always welcome here. And the next time you're in Italy, please reach out. And, um, yeah, it'll be a pleasure to show you around and get walk into the vineyards. And you can see and understand that I'm, I'm not just talking stories across the computer screen. It would be a pleasure to host you. No, I, I can't wait, actually. I'm really excited. So thank you so much for talking to us. Just want to mention the owner and honorary chairman of Quercebella, Sebastiano Cosia Castiglioni. Um, he's done so much for the winery. He took over in the late 1980s. He converted the vineyard to organic in 1988 biodynamic in 2000, and then finally to 100% plant-based in 2010. A pioneer and a visionary, Sebastiano is a vegan business investor and entrepreneur. He's also a vegan activist, and it would be a shame to talk about Querciabella without talking about him. So I just wanted to mention him before I talk about our next guest for our podcast for next week, who I'm also super excited to speak with, Deborah Brenner. Brenner, she created an amazing organization called Women of the Vine and Spirits. Sunny and I will be speaking to her and we'll share uh, the discussion with you next week. You can find our podcast on Fridays wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. This is Vignetto, a podcast. From the sun and soil.